Welcome to Laugh It Up Fuzzball. I am Joe the Wookie Riot. Welcome to the podcast where we talk about life, the universe, and everything, but mostly geek stuff. A place where we get to let our geek flag fly and talk about all things geek. As I've said before, this isn't an amalgamation of geek news or a comprehensive guide to all genres or the world of geekdom. Hopefully it's just a fun place to cover some geek news, comics, The Simpsons, Star Wars, and whatever randomness finds its way on in the recording. But let us get started. Welcome, my friends, to the Comic Palooza. That is right. Over 150 comics, or seriously, I stopped counting after 125. There are so many comics, and there's there's all those comics plus 12 trades, which means literally over over 200 issues of comic books that is gonna come to your ears starting today, and then with bonus odes in the future as I find time. I mean, while I was brain deep, as regular listeners of the show know, in the struggle of grad school, I still found time to read all the funny books that bring me joy. But the problem is there wasn't enough time to write notes about them. And and then, of course, the summer of guests was in full swing and then full-time work and everything. And I kept reading and I kept updating notes and not recording the thing and talking about recording the thing. And finally... Finally, grad school's about to start in a couple weeks. It's it's time to, to do what I promised and give you a bonus ode. And uh, and this one is uh, is Marvel. Me talking about all of the Marvel comics and completely caught up. Initially, I thought I was just going to... Like, I wrote the notes and I was like, okay, these comics I'll talk about later. No, I should include those comics. <laughs> then, then a week went by and more pull lists and finally I'm like, no, 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 completely catch up and record and then start a new Marvel pile and that's not even to talk about the DC pile that I'm looking at which literally is probably over 12 inches high and if you know anything about single issues that is a lot of issues and I have an idea to do maybe the DC notes a little bit different so I can get that out to you soon like next week but uh, we'll see if I succeed I guess you'll hear if I succeed in a week or so but you're welcome you're welcome for all the work but really you don't have to thank me It's, it's something I enjoy doing but without further ado Seriously, let uh, let us uh, get into what is guaranteed to be a long episode for for all of you. Uh, hopefully, hopefully you enjoy it. I uh, I'm really ready. Uh, really make mine Marvel. I I really enjoy Marvel comics. I don't know if I'm a DC head or a Marvel head. I really enjoy a lot of the DC heroes. I really enjoy a lot of the Marvel heroes. I don't know if I've actually picked. But if I if I had to say like if I if I looked around like. You know my room and my geekdom, my realm of geekdom. I probably am more more of a Marvel guy than a DC guy, but I don't know because some days I might actually feel like I'm more of a, a DC guy. It just depends on the characters. There's there's characters I enjoy from both, but uh, you know, it's the honest answer. It's probably close to a fifty fifty split as far as at least what comics I pull more. Um, and Marvel might be a little bit over, but it just depends on whether there's an event or what's going on. Um, if I if I had to to pick comics to to drop from my poll which would be a really sucky thing to do Uh, i might actually drop some marvel comics before i drop some dc comics dc is really doing some great stuff and i mean that's a company made famous by stanley stanley lieber and jack kirby kurtzman and i don't know unless uh, some weird financial circumstances come out i i don't see myself dropping anything soon every every week i probably have like 15 to 20 dollars in comics and i get a discount on my comics so but you know what this is just me rambling so let, let's assemble the avengers all the assorted heroes that are currently on the glossy pages of marvel 
uh, but mostly Thor and the Avengers, and, and get going, huh? Sound good? We'll start with Avengers No Road Home, issues 1 to 10. This is written by Mark Wade, Al Ewing, and Jim Zub. Pencils by Paco Medina, ink by Juan Vlasco, art by Sean Izaxe, it's I-Z-A-A-K-S-E, and Medina, and Carla Barberi. And then colors by Jesus Obertov, Marshall Maines, Eric Arseniega, and J. David Ramos. This was a weekly comic that I waited to be finished before I read it. And I really enjoyed this different team of Avengers taking on an evil worthy of, of a Wonder Woman story. If you read Avengers No Surrender, this is the same creative team. Keeps the story going. I have I had not read Avengers No Surrender when I read this one, but I've read it since. And you'll know because I'm going to talk about it. But basically the team here in, uh, in No Road Home is... Voyager, Hercules, Rocket Raccoon, Scarlet Witch, Hawkeye, Vision, Hulk, and Spectrum, aka Monica Rambo, or Monica freaking Rambo, if you want. They face off against a new threat from Mount Olympus, which is why I said uh, a story worthy of Wonder Woman, because it's it's definitely a, a baddie that you would think would be in the Wonder Woman world of DC. The world has been plunged into darkness, and now the forces of Nyx, the goddess of Nye, and her children are up against our Avengers. Lots of character development for the entire team. Really is a lovely comic. Lots of fighty fighty action, plus nightmare realms, and then I guess spoilers in five, four, three, two, one. But this all even goes to the world of the Cimmerian bringing Mother Truck and Conan to the team. You would think having Hercules and Conan on a team would be overkill, but you'd be wrong. Omnipotent city and the planet Euphoria. There's winks to stories of Marvel past to a few years back, like Civil War II and Silver Surfer in 2014, and I really enjoyed it. Also, just a lovely issue giving backstory for the baddies, which makes everything feel well fleshed out. And then the Conan-centric issue with Scarlet Witch, which I never thought I would ever see, was really good. Highlights for me include stuff for Hulk, Vision, Spectrum, but the true glory of this story really is the last issue and how it all ends. It is so dang good, and I won't spoil it, but I will promise that if you read it, it's going to delight you. I, I smile just thinking about how it all goes down. And it's also just great that I didn't feel like there were any weak issues. I just tore through the pages and enjoyed reading them, and this is definitely worth your time. Now, a Comic-Con... Uh, not a Comic-Con, a comic run I've read, haven't gotten around to reviewing is Moon Knight issues 188 to 200. And this is an issue that I actually pulled, waited waited to read it. I think actually Blue read a couple issues of it before I did and really enjoyed it. Uh, but I finally was like, hey, I need to I need to read those Moon Knights, those 12 issues. And the creative team here switches around, but all 12 issues were written by Max Bemis. 188 to 193 is art by Jason Burroughs, ink by Guillermo Ortega, colored by Matt Lopez for a story called Crazy Runs in the Family. And bring on bring on the moon knight bring bring on just how good this is you get a new bad guy with powers from the egyptian god ra which puts this uh fiery crazy military vet at odds with moon knight already has a lot going on with his multiple personalities there's also other villains from moon knight's past new threats as well as the truth who freezes his victims in fear with absolute truth there's bushman and the big reveal of Mark Spector's old flame, Marlene. This is really a bonkers story, and the madness of Spector slash Stephen Grant slash Jake Lockley is in full force here as he has to save the ones he loves. Moon Knight is righteous, and the power of crazy is in full force as the story goes as far as a cult on an island. The main point is Spector's Khonshu fighting the Sun King, which is a representation of Ra. It's rad. 
and Wild. And after the start switches around between Burroughs, Ortega, Ty Templeton, and Paul Davidson. Colors include Kieran Smith, Matt Lopez, and Matt Miller. Also guest issues on issue 20 of Jeff Lemire, or Lemire and Bill Sankevich. You know, spoilers I guess since I can't get around to it. But, but Moon Knight's newest challenge... And I guess skip for spoilers, but really, I'm just going to say, all these comics are probably going to include some spoilers. The challenge for Moon Knight is fatherhood. Amongst dealing with his own mental illness and threats from his past that, believe it or not, are connected to Nazi war criminals. There's a person absorbing monster, which leads to trippiness and introspection for Spectre. Lots of cool different versions of Moon Knight to smile at in that regard. Also a dinner with Sadist, which also ties to Moon Knight's past as a frightened Jewish boy. Followed by a great trial of Will and a Big Choice. Moon Knight is the best there is when it comes to crazy, and it all goes down big in the last few issues. Final Battle also includes an unlikely team-up and ties into the whole 12-issue run in a weird way. Long and short, this is really crazy fun, and I think if you like Moon Knight, you're also going to enjoy this. It's weird and wacky at times, but also real fun to read, and I tore through all 12 issues in one big read. It makes me want to read a lot more adventures for this anti-hero, but alas, this is where uh, Moon Knight's current adventures end. But now we'll head on to Old Man Quill, issues 1 to 8, and fun fact, I had originally only read two issues uh, of this while issue 4 and beyond sat in my pull box, because my comic store somehow didn't pull the third issue, and while they tried to get that issue, um, I just I just let this pile up. But one great thing about miniseries uh, is that this is the same team throughout, and one great thing about my comic shop is that they finally pulled issue 3 for me, so I got everything, and because I sat on this, I was, I'm able to like catch you up currently on it uh the writer is ethan Sachs, who i do blame for me reading this since i loved his old man hawkeye so much art is robert gill color by andre massa and welcome to the wastelands universe again and i can say that last word since uh the first issue uh has is action on spartax and in space featuring the brood but the long story short Old Man Cole's life got good, and then it goes mega bad courtesy of the threat of the Universal Church of Truth, which wants converts or destruction, uh, bring on binge drinking by the former Star-Lord and a reunion with his old Guardian's pal, which then takes them to Earth as they, tr- they seek to fight this church. I wondered if the story would become literally grounded, and it does, and they waste no time taking them to Doom's conquered portion of Earth. Lots of fighting and Guardians kicking ass and future versions of the Wrecking Crew, yes, uh, the same silly baddies named Bulldozer Wrecker. Thunderball and Piledriver who've squared off against Avengers, both Great Lakes and regular, and the Thunderbolts are here. It is good, and there's Doom goodness to com- to to complete all this with Doom bots. Um, I thought the second issue was much better than the first, but I did like the establishing story. I wondered if the entire run was going to be on Earth, and it, it sort of is, but it's still cosmic-y because, well, it's Guardians and Cosmic Wasteland stuff. Uh, issue 3 had a Ghost Rider gang all that goodness, plus the Universal Church of Truth after the heroes. Issue 4 follows up a gladiator match thing with the Guardians, plus some other soups, including Clint's spider-powered daughter, uh, plus uh, another character that, that I don't want to spoil, but uh, but it, but it's pretty amazing if you, if you like uh, giant creatures you would not expect in a comic. There's that Taskmaster. Uh, plus, don't forget, this is set in Doom's New Latvarius, so uh, he plays a part with Madame Mask. Issue 5 has a reveal of a surprise hero leading a group of rebels, plus scenes rescuing innocents that should make any fans of the Madrixes from Old Man Hawkeye very happy. I know I dug it. Uh, issue 6 is them battling Pulsar, since he is part of the evil church, and then the reveal of who the real evil is behind the Universal Church of Truth, which is righteous and I'll keep secret for now. The best thing is you think that would be the biggest shock. 
Then in issue seven, the Guardians are in the belly of the Baxter building looking for uh, an artifact which would stop the church and save Earth and give Quill the retribution he desires. But then there's also Moloids to contend with, plus the church hunting down Quill and an oh shit, what the heck moment to make you go back and re-examine everything that you've already previously read in the series. Plus, uh, Doctor Doom's throne has a certain rocky quality which makes me wonder what it's made of, even though I'm pretty sure I know the answer to that. And I, I just really gotta say, this series is good. I dig it. Issue 8 deals with huge surprises at the end of the previous one, including some backstory stuff and the appearance of a character which made me yelp and joy and then whimper and horror and then and somehow still the issue had its own surprise to make me excited for the for issues to come ethan Sachs really writes good wasteland stories and while this is on earth and not super cosmic-y it still has elements of that all the lovely poles from earth's past and a lot of great easter eggs and so far so good i am so not mad i started pulling this story which is set after old man logan and old man hawkeye but now to probably the best comic of the year uh, immortal hulk issues 16 to 22 i have been pretty vocal um that this is my favorite comic of the last year and writer al ewing penciler joe bennett inker roy jose and colorist paul mounts do not disappoint issue 19 did add uh, bellardini bravo to inks and then uh, issue 20 is bravo and jose joined by mark Deering. issue 20 was guest artist ryan bodenheim uh, but man, this creative team is so wonderful, and the mystery of what's going on with Rick Jones continues, and the the shadow-based baddies are up to no good. Reporter Jackie is back as well, and and then there's a mention of Avengers No Road Home, and Hulk and Doc Sampson are figuring out both the, the Rick Jones stuff and whatever's going down with Betsy Ross or Betty Ross. Lots of Hulk action, including some cool creatures to smash, and then a cliffhanger end with the baddie from uh, the previous issues, which is Banner saying a line... Uh, bringing all sorts of questions to mind. Then you get even deeper dives into Banner's life with a kickback from the past and a big surprise in terms of what's going on with the gamma-radiated man who turns into a giant green rage machine. I don't want to spoil the big reveal, uh, but it is Top's friends. So much more intrigue going on regarding the Shadow Base and that tease from issue 16 truly dealt with. While another character from Hulk Pass makes a big appearance, tied to yet another friend of Banner, plus there's the entire mystery about what's going on with Betty Ross Banner, who may or may not be dead with Jackie McGee. I didn't even mention there's bits for Gamma Fly and more Doc Sampson. Issue 19 is an abomination, quite literally, with the big reveal being what is going on with Betty. So much surprising, horror-tinged Hulk action, friends. And it gets even better when it's Hulk versus Shadow-based minions. Then for all those who wondered about General 14 and Gamma Flight's involvement in all these events, Issue 20 goes into all that, but provides scenes which add even more questions to this epic story, which was rightfully nominated for an Eisner Award. Issue 21 keeps this cast of Gamma-impacted heroes anti-heroes and villains moving and somehow adds mystery and intrigue while singularly driving to yet another confrontation which should be epic in the next issue al ewing and his team are, are they're just killing it if i had to recommend one series from the past year to dive into this is the comic book you wish you were reading stuff for lovers of horror stuff for lovers of old jay jaws and it is so good immortal hulk never disappoints of course courtesy of me pulling immortal hulk my local shop also pulled a one shot for me uh, the incredible hulk last call written by peter david pencils by dale Cowan, inks by mark farmer mark darian walden wong and scott hannah colors by peter steigerwald with john star this is bruce banner dealing with the death of his wife betty uh, from the past and remembering some of the events of their life together while he personally contemplates suicide it is a good story 
told through a phone call to a suicide prevention hotline with one of Betty Betty's co-workers. Um, there's Modoc and Harpy and Mr. Hyde and Deadpool, but none of those in ways you might expect. I dug the story a bunch, and I like to think, since Immortal Hulk is da- so damn good, it is inspiring others to write good Hulk stories as well. Uh, moving on to Captain America, issue 7 to 12. You know, writer Ta-Nehisi Coates, uh, his, his take on Cap is incredible. Art is uh, Adam Kubert, colors Frank Martin, Matt Miller does color on issue 12. You know, Cap's been framed for murder and now dealing with uh, life in the Myrmidon prison, which is a prison run by Baron Strucker. There's Sharon Carter and Bucky and the Daughters of Liberty, but the primary story is Steve Rogers among the baddies for a crime he didn't commit. It doesn't help that all the bad guys have all the secret empire, Hail Hydra, distrust depend on Cap. And just the title of this whole story, Captain of Nothing, tells you this is going to be trouble for America's favorite super soldier hero. Sharon is working on the outside to save her love, including talking with Kingpin, while Cap serves time with villains he's fought with before, including the Wrecking Crew and more. Yes, Bulldozer, Wrecker, and Piledriver are in not one but two Marvel comics, but things are better for these D-list bad guys. Sort of. Hydra Cap even has a role to play in the story, but not how you think. There's a bad guy named The Foreigner, and wowza, this is this is hard to talk about without spoiling it at all. Shout out to the Daughters of Liberty. I mean, come on. Sharon Carter, Dryad, Spider-Woman, Misty Knight, Mockingbird, Susan Storm Richards, Tony Ho, or Iron Patriot, if you don't recognize her name, and then so much more. It is 11 badass Marvel ladies all united to help Sharon Carter clear Steve Rogers' name. Prison riots and American opinion turning on Cap and so much more. Uh, issue 12 at all sorts of classic Cap and I love him contending with his image through the lens of villain opinion. There's, there's bad and then there's big bad and Cap wants to be free. But freedom has a cost in at least character growth in prison fights. What's also rad is everything goes down while the mystery threat of the Lucans is tied to other villain characters you'll recognize. And then the hook to keep the story going in issue 12 had me mentally fist bumping. Uh, issue 11 was Daughters of the Dryad action and the prison riot Cat must use to somehow escape. Uh, issue 12, like I was saying, deals with the world Cap has to contend with now with more Red Daughters of Liberty action. And ultimately... This is just an exploration of what Captain America means today, but specifically in a post-Secret Empire world, and that includes a cast of characters that you know and love, plus more. Um, And issue 12 ended with one heck of a surprise. I know I said what the F when I flipped to the last page after thinking the issue was over. Ta-Nehisi Coates is is really rocking this Cap story so well, and the comic is high up on my list, and not just because I'm a big fan of Captain America. Also grabbed a Cap one-shot which is Captain America and the Invaders, Bahamas Triangle. Basically what happens, if you throw a character on your pull list, you can say for a specific run and just put the character's name. And and lately, they just all of a sudden, like all sorts of characters, not just Cap, but like also on the DC side, like Batman and Wonder Woman, have these one-shots or other stories going. And sometimes that means like the comics get pulled. And sometimes I keep them to read, and sometimes I don't. This is one I kept because it's Cap. And uh, written by Roy Thomas, art by Jerry Ordway, color by J. David Ramos. Have you ever wanted to read a pre-World War II story including Baron Zemo, Cap, and the original Human Torch plus Namor and President Franklin Delano Roosevelt? If you answered yes, then this comic is for you. And yes, based on the title, it is all set in the Bahamas and even includes British nobility as in the Duke of Windsor himself. Yes, Queen Elizabeth II's papa. It's another Cap versus Hydra story but with twists in the form 
of the Bermuda Triangle of Invaders. Uh, there's lots of heroes. Uh, cap on panels is Steve Rogers for a bit, so not uh, wearing his iconic red, white, and blue. Of course, you get Cap fighting Nazis, which is always awesome, and uh, it, this is no different. It is awesome. Also, just cool to see Ordway art, and uh, Thomas has always been a good Marvel writer, so I dug this story. Now, moving to Return of Wolverine, issues four and five. Uh, the last two issues of this whole arc that brought Logan back to life. Uh, written by Charles Sewell, art by Declan Shalvey, and colored by Laura Martin for issue four. Issue five is uh, Pencils by Steve McNiven, ink by Jay Lyston, and Martin still in color. Uh, the mystery of Persephone and the resurrection of Wolvie is finally revealed, and it's crazy, plus we get to see some of Logan squaring off against the X-Men with his glowing claws. Issue four is just a big reveal and explanation issue, but it is really good, and then we're off to space for the finale. It's a classic Wolverine. I know I won't spoil it, but I like how they explain the return of Weapon X. Also, I just I really like how all the different versions of Wolverine from his past, from Patch to Weapon X to Captain Canada and Captain Terror and, and more, all play a role in Logan stopping the evil plan of Persephone, who is a villain I'm sure we will see more of somewhere in the future. Uh, and there's there's stuff going on with Persephone, which is really interesting, could lead to some great stories. There's one iteration of Wolverine that he does it free, which is pretty great, and it is for you to find out. Ghosts haunt Logan, and this was all about that and really good. He's back, friends, and the return was such a fun read, full of berserker rage and snick, snick, snick goodness. Uh, the next few issues are just single issues. I picked up War is Hell issue one, which is a war comic to honor the 80th anniversary of Marvel featuring, and this is featuring two stories of war. The first, Swing Verboten, is a story told from both the Axis and Allies' point of view, with a bittersweet story focusing on jazz. Yes, that is possible. Uh, my historical interests include World War II, so anything featuring the RAF and the Luftwaffe over the English Channel is going to pique my interest, and telling it in comic form. Such a neat way to get stories like these into the hands of impressionable minds. And once upon a time, these sort of comics were always out, and this is how kids like like found heroes and, and understood some ideas about war and what was going on. And I, I think it's neat that they did something uh, like that in the in the modern day. Story and art by Howard Chaikin. It is it is pretty good, but it does have a tragic end. The second story is called War Devil, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson with art by Alberto Albuquerque and color by Andre Massa. This one hit a little too close to home for me, a story set in Afghanistan. It is dark. It is worth checking out. Uh, war is not only hell, it's a disease. And, and within these pages, you won't find happy endings because that's not how war works. And, and before I go into a spiral talking about it, we'll move on to the next issue. But I will say that second story, I just sort of had to sit with it and be like, huh, okay. Whew, but uh, we'll, we'll move on to war that, that doesn't hit close to home. We'll go to Savage Avengers, issues 1 to 4. And oh, hell yeah. This is written by Jerry Duggan, art by Mike Diodato Jr., color by Frank Martin. And for anyone super stoked like me with the appearance of Conan the Barbarian in Avengers, this is where it keeps going with the formation of a new team. Uh, there's a new evil in the Savage Land in the form of worshippers of a marrow god, and now disconnected heroes and anti-heroes find themselves thrust together. If you ever wanted a Conan versus Wolverine interaction, uh, issue one's not going to disappoint. Also, the hand shows up, Brother Voodoo, a glimpse of Venom, and the Punisher. The cover also includes a lecture with the team. Uh, so so this, this looks, when I first saw it, I was like, man, this is going to be dang good. In issue two... 
it, it gets down, gets down real early, and even brings Nazis into the intrigue with Kulangath and his minions in the city of Sickles. There's Wolverine trying to save Brother Voodoo, and the way we get Venom in the fray, plus more Conan and some Punisher with uh, with one bad guy kill at the hand ninja minions, which is super genius and fun. Uh, issue three, more Punisher, Brother Voodoo, uh, get some good panel time. Elektra finally shows up, plus more Conan and Wolvie. Venom appears on this team in an effing righteous way that that I really like. I really like, and I enjoy the bad guys of this run. What's what is not to like about Hand Ninjas, and then a mean old sorcerer trying to resurrect a Marrow God with the blood of warriors. And speaking of blood. There's ton all over these comics. The, the quote-unquote heroes are such badasses. And then issue four has the battle going big and New York City bound with the whole team. And it is incredibly righteous. Amidst that, Jerry Duggan finds finds time to dive into pathos, especially uh, into the trauma of Frank Castle and freaking wowza. This comic is gritty, full of action and dark stuff, and I'm stoked for where it's heading, uh, wherever the hell that ultimately is. The next issue promises a conclusion to this whole arc, and I'm so down for it, and hoping uh, hoping for more from this comic, and I hope the run's not over after that. Uh, we can move on to another single issue, Avengers Edge of Infinity, written by Ralph Macchio. No, not the Karate Kid guy, but the connected to Marvel writer and editor. Art is Andrea DeVito, colored by Lauren Villari. I'm not going to lie, this was a so-so story of Captain Marvel, Captain America, Iron Man, and Black Widow against MODOK and Lunar, which is another acronym-based organization. Uh, basically, this ended up on my pull list because it was Avengers, and even though I didn't ask for it, I did pick it up and read it. Simple story, but not anything deep for any of the characters. I would give it a solid C+. Uh, it was a quick read. Don't get me wrong. I like MODOK being used, and the threat of the, the moon being used to destroy Earth was interesting, but meh. In all these comics, this is one of my meh ones. But uh, wowza, friends, we've only just begun, and I'm daunted by the sheer amount of comics to cover, but I will persevere. Hold on to your butts, as they say. Uh, we'll go to a couple newer comics I've read since it's taken me five ever to get this done. Uh, we got Weapon Plus Issue 1, written by Ethan Sachs, pencils by Diogenes Neves, ink by Adriana Benedetto, and color by Federico Blee. What is not to love about a, a series with Captain America and Wolverine teaming up? I also dig that this connects to Phantom X from Grant Morrison's X-Men stuff, and is going to dive deep into the program, creating superpowered beings that all starts with Project Rebirth, uh, a.k.a. Cap. Um, they really find great ways to mine this whole gem, bringing past story for Wolverine and the characters like Phantom X and uh, most recently Weapon H, the Hulkverine. This is a good story, offers lots of conflict for the original Marvel Boy Scout Steve Rogers. The Weapon Plus program is evil and it is up to our heroic duo to bring them down before they unleash whatever weapon Triple X is and I'm pretty sure it's not a porn parody. Um, I, don't, I don't think that, that I really know what's going on having just read one issue, but Friends, there's a weaponized talking grizzly bear in it, and and the idea that fanboys of Cap would volunteer to be experimented on, um, and now a nefarious leader plans on teaching Cap a lesson about what his symbol really means. Um, I also think the styles and morals of the two different characters of Wolverine and Captain America is interesting, and just shout out to some cool images, especially one of Wolvie coming out of out of a fire. It is cool to say the least, and I do look forward to more comics from this. Also picked up a special issue, Peter Porker, the Spectacular Spider-Man. This was the Spidey Annual. It was everything I wanted it to be. Written
written by Jason Latour, art by David Lafuente, and color by Rico Renzi. This is chock full of pig puns and silliness, and if you like Spider-Ham, you will enjoy the comic. I certainly love all the animal versions of superheroes and villains. I mean, duck toward doom. Ah, oh, man, I love it. Also, the ringmaster as a villain, and then Spidey... Spider-Ham is bored, and yes, that's spelt as a pig pun, B-O-R-E-D. Um, then there's the six-armed Spider-Man named Parker Peterman and all sorts of other lovely nonsense. Also a little story at the end by Phil Lord, Christopher Miller, and Jason Latour. Latour did the art and color for that story. If you're wondering why the first two names sound familiar, then maybe look up some screenwriting credits for Marvel movies if you like. What's great about this uh, is it's titled Secret Roar. You get it? <laughs> and then it has Spider-Ham interacting with Howard the Duck. Uh, that story is delightful and ends even better than it begins. <laughs> Read the issue, friends. It is, it is great. But I, I love Spider-Ham. Um, I also caught up with Major X, issues 1 to 6 and then issue 0. Uh, writer duties is none other than Rob Liefeld. Also doing pencils and some ink. Brett Peebles takes over pencils in issues 2, 4, and 5. Wills Portacio in issue 3. Other inkers include Adelso Corona, Dan Fraga, Scott Hanna, and Corey Hampshire. Colors by Romulo Fajardo Jr. And this is the future of mutant kind being threatened, even though for a moment it looks like they were all saved by a mutant named the Essential. Now Major X and his companion, who may or may not be the white version of Hank McCoy, have to save the future while fighting in the past. Major X is connected to Cable and another mutant, uh, and then there's new villains to contend with that include future Atlanteans and a big bad name, Dreadpool, who is not Wade Wilson since Deadpool is in part of part of the issues also. There's Wolverine and Domino and Storm and a whole bunch more. It's all real cool and a fun story to follow. And since X-Men continuity is confusing to me anyways, just ask Blue. It works out provided whatever is going on with X-Men right now doesn't delete all of this and when i say whatever's going on with x-men right now i'm talking about powers of x and house of x that i'm not reading but danny is and someday i will borrow his comics and read it um i liked i liked major x and especially doug the the end where there's more reveals of who major x is related to you know his identity at the end of issue one but there's so much more to learn and i was rooting for him and mccoy to beat the baddies to save the existence you get it in the future also a new mutant named aura and sentinels and a big bad of other comics showing up which isn't a surprise but also kind of is the end is big and and fighty and uh and and worth worth reading it's bombastic and fun and there's stuff for deadpool and cable which i love especially the latter um it's a good story and hooray for lifeville getting to stretch his creative muscles hooray for him creating a new character the villain dreadpool has his dna all over it because it's connected to deadpool but yay for lifeville writing at least a little bit more for wade wilson this miniseries is worth reading but i guess i really say that for almost everything i read uh comics yay uh issue zero does tell a story that ties in the major x stuff with uh with stories that Liefeld wrote in his past. Uh, this is Wolverine and Deadpool, uh, Once Upon a Time, that connects to the Administrator and Watchtower and the Scourge stuff from the miniseries. Uh, there's also Weapon X tie and stuff. Uh, you can tell this is a story that Rob Liefeld has been wanting to write for a long time, and not just because of the written interview with him at the back of this huge book. Um, I think I just like seeing Wade showing off against Logan. And then mysteries unraveled and revealed, plus more for Major X, who is, is part of something bigger. Hello, X-Command, and many other figures with military ranks. And uh, Rob Liefeld, I'm glad, you're, I'm glad you're doing your creative stuff. Now, I just I want more of this in the world, and here's hoping it's not ter too terribly long away. But now, 
Oh man, I think I think I should take a pause and take a drink of water or coffee or something because we're moving on into the war of the mother trucking realms. I've been so ready for this Thor-centric story to begin and I basically pulled everything that was involved with this event. It is one of the first Mega Marvel events that I did decide to get the entire story for. I will try to make make it all make sense but fair warning there are a lot of comics but uh the only place to start is the start so we'll uh we'll talk about the main event comic first so war of the realms issues one to six written by jason aaron drawn by russell dodderman colored by matthew wilson and uh basically malekith the dark elf has a sorry my if you hear that wookie sound in the background that's my text hi heather <laughs> anyways uh oh, i shouldn't even put that in. anyways we're just gonna keep going because uh i, I got to get this done before i before i have to edit and go to work and get this posted for you but uh malekith has assembled an army and taken over the 10 realms of existence now he plans to conquer midgard aka earth and it can't be good for the people of earth and the heroes who protect it there's so many heroes and baddies in the story but the long and short is as guardians and the heroes of midgard fighting against the army of malekith so you get Thor, Odin, Freyja, Thor the Hellhound, Sif, Hildegard, Spider-Man, Jane Foster, Punisher, Daredevil, Captain America, Black Panther, She-Hulk, Iron Man, Captain Marvel, Blade, Ghost Rider, Doctor Strange, and Wolverine, and, and really more, but those are the characters I mentioned, versus Malekith, Loki, Vlick, Lord of Trolls, Curse, Lofi, King of the Frost Giants, Cinder, the Daughter of Surtur, the Queen of Heaven, the Enchantress, and Dario Agar. Basically, all of Eren's Thor runs come and collide into this epic showdown on earth lots going on with surprises for loki and thor and then the avengers and asgardians facing off against fire demons and frost giants and killer angels the valkyries are involved but that brings on more devastating surprises and while thor has disappeared wolverine and punisher work together while doctor strange tries to minimize collateral damage to non-combatants in the city in new york also jane foster gets to be rad again but not Thor. This is not a story where the heroes just win. In fact, they retreat, suffer big defeats, and then split off with different missions in the hopes that they can save Midgard. The battle is on Earth, but it's also in Jotunheim and Svartalheim as well. And I think my favorite team in this is Carol Danvers with her War Avengers. I mean, what's not like to like about Deadpool, Venom, Weapon H, Captain Britain, Winter Soldier, and Lady Sif against Malekith and the owner of the Ebony Blade. Also Cap's team on Pegasi. So much to love as Dark Elves and other previously mentioned baddies are fought against. By the time you get to issue 4, you also get to learn some about the previous battles on different realms. Poor, poor Alfheim. Uh, then we get characters we love recruiting in other realms besides the land of the Light Elves. And this war is truly... It truly gets good and continues to be good. Like Freyja, I love this, like, lightning loves thunder. And there's lovely moments for her and the Allfather with a cool-ass new weapon. And then it ends with one heck of a pump-your-fist-in-the-air cliffhanger. Uh, the event is super huge with lots going down. And you would think Jason Aaron and his team wouldn't find a way to give each little battle some love but then you'd be naive and wrong while the side issues tell more about stuff going down it's amazing how this huge narrative is all woven together and so lovely to read as spider-man says in issue five it's weird thor stuff that is super cool i especially like the writers remembering to tell all the battles including enchantress in south america and the trolls in australia i think my favorite is the lady ass kickers in wakanda and the dora milaje but it's all great seeing the world tree brought in everything was also rad and i really like aaron bringing more story for jane foster and her involvement in all this the way it comes together at the end is incredible and wonderful jason aaron loves stories with multiple thors and this delivers big on that with not not one not two not three but four versions of thor uh, let's just say the past 
present and future of the God of Thunder come together to contend with Malekith. And if you've ever read any previous Jason Aaron Thor stuff, that that's something that happens on occasion, or at least you get those different versions of Thor being mentioned. It's it's not just the badassery of this fight, which surprised on its own, but the battle in New York against the Frost Giants and King Laffy was just great. That goes down spectacularly with a surprise that I should have seen coming, but but uh, it's righteous how the stories for other heroes like Daredevil and more fill into it all. The way it all ends is great. It really makes me want to go go back and buy all of Jason Aaron's Thor runs uh, to, just to read, but summer's almost over and money is tight, so, uh, so that's something that I'll have to wait for the future. Uh, my funds do prohibit that big expenditure, but those stories will be read later at some point in my life, and the best part of all this amazing War of the Realm stuff is that it wasn't just the the six main issues there were side issues and while all of these stories really should be read in a certain order i'm going to talk about the issues i read uh in a a cursory way so not to spoil all the awesomeness Uh, so thor issues 12 to 14 jason aaron writing artist mike del mundo with del mundo and mark d alfonso on color uh, issue 13 was guest artist Scott Hepburn and color artist Matthew Wilson. Thor issue 12 deals with what goes down with Loki, uh, who the jury is still out on whether he's a bad guy or not. But but isn't that always the way with the God of Tricks? There's there's lots of versions of Loki to watch as well as backstory for both him and Malekith and then a possible future which is incredibly dark. It is cuckoo bananas and lovely and Jason Aaron and Mike Del Mundo have rocked on the Thor run which now is smack dab in in the middle of one heck of a magical fantastical war but somehow still finds time to tell a story for for a villainous character connected to everything but a wash with a purpose of its own issue 12 rocks in its own special way with a story all about Odin's brother Cole actually I think that's issue 13 I'm talking about but fans may remember Cole from Fear Itself in 2011, and a semi-recently reviewed by me, the god of fear, former Earth terrorizer called the Serpent, is on a mission for his brother, but within the mission to destroy the Black Bifrost in Svartalheim, this backstory for, for two brothers who fought for the right to be all-father. Hint, Odin is not the oldest son. It's narrated by Bor, and just totally wonderful all the way to the end. Also love how it fits in the story with Freja and, and Jason Aaron Rock's Thor stories, and Del Mundo's art is fan-freaking-tastic. Issue 14 is a young Thor story dealing with his struggles to be the, worthy of Mjolnir, but then it's also more of the past, present, and future Thors versus Malekith. Basically a prequel before issue six of War, issue six of War of the Realms and a lovely story. Uh, the satisfying end for young Thor after a good story arc rocks, but I do love Thor, so I'll admit, I'm a, I'm a little biased. Also nice, even though there's a different art team, it fits in with everything, uh, but Del Mundo does come back for issue 15, which uh, tells what's going on with the Asgardian characters after after the war on Midgard is over. Uh, and uh, I don't want to spoil it, so I'll just say it's dang good. I really particularly enjoyed this stuff with Malekith, but it is all great. So I guess I said it's issues 12 to 14, but uh, spoiler, it was issues 12 to 15. Lots, lots of comics. Blah, my brain explodes. Avengers issues 18 to 22, written by Aaron again. He is a busy hellhound. Pencils by Ed McGinnis, ink by Mark Morales, color by Justin Ponser. Jason Keith does color for issues 20 and 21, and art for issue 21 is Jason Masters. Issue 22 is art by Stefano Caselli, and Keith still on color. Or Keith still on color. Issue 18 is all about Agent Coulson's new team that was teased a ways back. Um, Spoilers, I guess. Five, four, three, two, one. 
But holy how for the squadron uh, supreme of America and me laughing that these heroes all hail from Washington, making them DC's finest, adding Nighthawk, Power Princess, Hyperion, Dr. Spectrum, and the Blur into not just the Avengers story, but fighting Frost Giants in, in Washington, DC is great. America is still odds with T'Challa's led Avengers team, so this new team and the mystery of their formation cannot be good for the future of the Avengers, but for now they're part of the heroes willing to protect Midgard, even if they're reveal of who got Coulson to form the team in the first place is a bit of a shocker. Issue 19 is the Avengers team we love who may someday have to face off against America's new heroes, but for now have to defend their new mountain headquarters inside the body of a dead celestial from a frost giant invasion. The creative team is the same, but add Eric Garza and Niega in on color next to Ponser. Doctor Strange saved Manhattan citizens by sending them to Avengers headquarters, but now everyone is in danger. And the crazy thing is this whole story is told from the point of view of Gorilla Man, Letting you see the different strike forces, the threat of the Frost Giants, tie-ins to Ursa Major and the Winter Guard. Also letting you focus on the badassery of many different Avengers. Props to the new agents of Wakanda members. And then a big twist reminding you that this whole story dealt with vampires in the in previous issues. Issue 20 uh, reminds you why She-Hulk uh, is amazing and also reminds you that she has issues as she fights her inner demons, her new power, and also fights trolls in Australia. It's real dang fun. Then there's stuff for Deadpool, Blade, Daredevil, and Frost Giants as they interact with Jennifer. Solid story that fits in nice between all the Earth-ending War of the Realm stuff, plus Hulk fighting trolls in Australia is great. Did 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 you miss me saying that? Yes, she fights trolls in Australia. I really dig that Jason Aaron is uh, keeping true to the massive bodybuilder body of Jennifer hulked out and having her contend with their new powers. It's really cool. Issue 21 is the Avengers um, hot tub talk issue post-War of the Realms. And yes, you heard me say that right. The Dead Celestial Headquarters has all kinds of stuff. But uh, this issue also has Black Panther contending with the threat of Agent Coulson and the Squadron Supreme. There's also She-Hulk flirting with Blade, what the what, and in Aaron I trust, but somehow he lets this new Avengers team both relax and also have to deal with a bunch of future threats, which include Kree, Dracula's vampires, and the Squadron Supreme, Namor, and whoever is the real master of Agent Coulson. I, I know the answer to that since it is revealed, or shown again at the end of this issue, but I'm going to keep mum since I think you should read these issues. Issue 22 is the first issue post-War of the Realms and gets right to a story involving Robbie Ray as not wanting to be Spirit of Vengeance anymore and it gets demonic and mystical and also brings in a character to do a uh, seance slash uh, exorcism that, that I thought was funny and made me hoot. This new story is going to be a hell yeah fest and so full of ghostwriter goodness. This is masterful storytelling and I really dug every minute of turning these glossy pages. But where to go next? Okay, let's see. Uh, we'll go to War of the Realms tie-ins that aren't comics on their own. So first up, War of the Realms, The Punishers, issues 1 to 3. Written by Jerry Duggan, pencils by Mark Ferreira, ink by Roberto Paghi, and color by Rachel Rosenberg. Manhattan is under siege by dark elves, frost giants, and fire demons, like I said before, but Frank Castle is having none of it down on the street level. He will save as many people as he can with ultraviolence, and so good to see Frank doing his thing to save innocents and even enlisting the help of incarcerated cons to serve his purposes. Issue 2 is all sorts of darkness in the Lincoln Tunnel. I, I really dug this. Frank is willing to do a lot just to save one 
citizen of Manhattan, and there's a lot of shooting and blood, blood, blood. Also betrayal and ripped limbs and bites and what you want from a Punisher story that happens to include a dark elf war on Earth, complete with trolls, fire demons, and hellhounds. What's best about this whole rescue mission is Punisher is who he is, and let's just say it's not all happy endings for everyone involved, but Frank Castle has a mission to accomplish and a code to serve in his personal war with his own demons. No, uh, his demons are both literal and figurative in this series. It's good stuff, and the point is you get hooked for uh, Punisher's upcoming Kill Crew series. I hope Danny ends up pulling that one since he's a big fan of Punisher, because I, I would like to read it someday. But uh, we're going to move on and go to my favorite of these side issues, just because of its sheer craziness. War of the Realms, War Scrolls, Issues 1, 2, and 3. Uh, the way they set up each book for this, it has a few different stories tied into the War of the Realms. In Issue 1, there were four stories. Uh, the first is Daredevil and the God Without Fear by Jason Aaron, art by Andrea Sorrentino, color by Matthew Wilson. Basically, this is one story told, which is told over every issue of War Scrolls. Daredevil has new powers that are come from having Heimdall's sword, and he's even more awesome than Matt usually is. And while you have to read the main War of the Realms to learn how Daredevil comes by these rad powers, it is a fun tease to make you want to read more and includes kingpin but not how you might think uh the warriors three or four by josh trujillo art by ricardo lopez ortiz and color by felipe sabero hell yeah for the warriors three joining hildegard as the battle in manhattan rages bonus for appearance of cloak and dagger then there's the wolverine and punisher tale written by ram v art by kafu and color by brian rebo uh this was a solid story that uh, that has these badasses saving honest folks en route to the Sanctum Sanctorum for an evacuation with good interactions between the two. And the last story in uh, issue one of this was Howard the Duck in Wog of the Realms by Chip Zdarsky, uh, drawn by Joe Quinones, ink assist by Joe Rivera, and color by Rico Renzi. Uh, this was a short and silly Howard saving a dog for money in the middle of Frost Giant Mayhem story. It's cute. Um, all in all, these just these short stories going on in the madness of this event are fun for me. Some tie into bigger things, some don't. Uh, issue two of this uh, of War of the Realm stuff was three stories. So uh, basically, <laughs> it's it's so hard, and I feel like this is being confusing. But in War Scrolls, all these individual stories just do a good thing. So. Uh, in War Scrolls issue 2, uh, the God Without Fear continues with the same art team, Wilson Fisk versus Matt, but this is a confrontation at an extreme power level and incredible, ties to Malachis' plans, uh, interestingly, especially where it cliffhangs, but I'm a fan of Daredevil, so you know I'm going to think it's great. The second story in War Scrolls issue 2 is Doctor Strange story called Agency by Devin Grayson, art by Paul Davidson and color by Andre Massa. Basically, Stephen Strange is dealing with his thoughts after saving New York via teleportation, and we get Eternity and Nightmare tied into the journey. I love the Sorcerer Supreme protecting Earth from continued mystical threats that still exist side by side with Malika's forces. Also just uh, lovely little interactions with the kid from New York. It is rad. And the third story in War Scrolls issue 2 uh, is Wiccan and Hulkling from the Young Avengers. Uh, called My Drag Brunch with Loki, which is a great title, written by Anthony Oliveira, drawn by Nick Robles, and colored by Chris Peters. Uh, Chris Peters. Well, I'm not a big fan of um, Bill and Ted from the from the Young Avengers. Uh, this is real cool for its inclusion of a normal LGBT romance. And then there's a Bill and Ted joke, plus great stuff for Loki pre-confrontation with his birth dad, King Laffy. Really a Loki story, and that's where it shines. It is solid. 
the entire issue two of War Scrolls was real good, and it's nice to see Marvel using the format better as it goes along. And uh, and my only hope was that issue three would also be a good one, and it was. Uh, it, issue three finishes the God Without Fear story with Aaron Sorrentino and Wilson. Daredevil takes on Malekith and Curse to save blind children. It is very good. Also, the secret identity of Curse is revealed, and everything leads to the final King Laffy confrontation in War of the Realms' final issue, issue six. Uh, then there was a Doctor Doom story in Laveria. Uh, writer Christopher Cantwell, artist Cian Torn. Tormi and colorist Dan Brown. Uh, the Dark Elf elves have threatened the entire Earth, and that includes Doom's home. And this is where we see him protecting those he rules through uh, fear, as he does. The narrator also connects other stuff, including I presume events with the Fantastic Four. And this is a nice, nice self-contained story, where the villain is a villain, but he's also heroic, but not exactly a hero. And then the last story of War Scrolls issue 3, A She-Hulk Tale, written by Charlie Jane Anders, art by Simone D'Armini, and colored by Federico Blee. Uh, the art in this is wild, uh, but but it fits the story where Lady Frasia and She-Hulk discuss the blooming romance between Jennifer and Thor, and certainly this doesn't pass the Bechdel test, but it is an enjoyable story. It also mentions to Joni Mitchell and Beyonce, courtesy of Punisher and Blade, respectively, um, I guess I should mention that this story goes on during the mission to break the Black Five by for us on Svartalham. Um, just a nice conversation with the All-Mother and She-Hulk, uh, and also includes um, some fights and some funny and cool and cool. But now on to another side issue, War of the Realms, Journey into Mystery, issues 1 to 5, which was the most issues of one of the side issues. This is written by the McElroys, drawn by Andre Lima Aravjo, and color by Chris O'Halloran. Basically, Thor is a baby sister named Lassa, Odin's daughter, and now an unlikely team of Thor's older brother, Balder, Miles Morales, Wonder Woman, Kate Bishop, Hawkeye, Thori, the Entrail Gargler, God Dog, Deathlock 2.0, and Sebastian Druid are teamed up to to save her. It's funny because Balder thought his quest to keep baby Lassa from Sender, the Queen of uh, Muspelheim, uh was was uh was gonna be a prophesied team that would include regular Hawkeye Doctor Strange and the original Deathlock, but then instead he gets misfits and also Rans, uh to to keep Baby Lassa safe. Uh, well, excluding Kate Bishop, because I think Kate Bishop is rad. But uh, the road trip with these Ulcerans is in a Winnebago with Ares the God of War on their tail in a flaming semi-truck. Ares' motivations to work for Cinder make a lot of sense. Uh, then there's time in an RV park, including scrolls. And then it all goes down with ghost cowboys. Siri, this story is silly, but also awesome and gives even more info regarding Lassa Odin's daughter, which is surprising as all get out. Yay for Ghost Cowboys of Marvel Pass and good character interactions. Uh, in fairness, I, I'm a big fan of Thor's dog Thori, so I'm all, all up for any silly story that includes him. Also, prepare yourself for complex emotions about scrolls and more while liking an unlikely team with plenty of what he thinks to say. Just when you think running from areas can't get weirder, the team ends up in Carson City, Nevada at a convention of Hetchman. Henchman, yes, you heard that right. Uh, it is Henchman Con, and things go down to lead to the conclusion of this five-part story. There's gambling and gunfights after Gugugos, and the last G word for this silly side story is greatness. I dig this team. It all wraps up in the fifth issue, which is just as bonkers as the rest of the story was with this misfit team protecting Thor's baby sister. The big bad Ares is contended with 
very well, um, as as well as Cinder, who is the baddie behind the attempt to kidnap Lhasa. And it, it, it does end with a bit of a whimper after a big fight, but that is okay because it is a fun mess and wild ride to read through. The side issue, Awesomeness, continues with War of the Realms Uncanny X-Men, issues 1 to 3, written by Matthew Rosenberg, drawn by Pere Perez, and colored by Rachel Rosenberg. The mutants have their own fight within the battlefield that is Manhattan. Of course, their particular protection of the remaining civilians falls to the outer boroughs of the city that never sleeps. Hard to slumber with dark elves, frost giants, trolls, and ravenous wolves all around, I suppose. The X-Men team is Cyclops, Wolverine, Hope Summers, Magic, Wolfsbane, Mirage, Karma, Havoc, Multiple Man, and chamber and then issue two brings even more mutants into the chaos like sunspot sunspot plus none other than Sabretooth, who's working with the bad guys i love seeing mirage back in action as danny moonstar the valkyrie although that return has tragic underpinnings considering the story so far also a great hook with wolfsbane at the end but i'll admit i had to look up some x-men history for the reveal to mean something to me a lot going on in this story and I had to do a bunch of back and forth for it all to make sense as a story. But there's fun X-Men moments and a classic bad guy tying into all the Malachus stuff. So I'll let it all slide. Then it's the big showdown with Sabretooth and his forces and his fun mutant powers versus frost giants, giant wolves, and trolls. Then there's tragic stuff for Wolfsbane. Then a surprise death and a correction of some of the other losses in the War of the Realms. It's solid middle road comics with an unclear timeline until it's shoved in your face at the very end. But also X-Men goodness, and if you like X-Men, you'll probably like it. I think this is a sort of story which might piss off some uber fans of the mutants, but people like me uh, that don't really know all that much about them and are enjoying the War of the Realms will probably like this. Now on to War of the Realms. Yeah, we're still going with that. New Agents Atlas, issues 1-4, to four, written by Greg Pak, art by Gang Hyuk Lim, and colored by Federico Blee. Uh, issues 3 also includes Andre Massa and Eric Arseniega. 4 adds Moy R and Pop Mon to art with Massa joining Blee for color. <clears throat> so long and short, this tie-ins by far one of, one of my favorites just because of what it means for inclusivity in comics. An all-Asian superhero team that apparently made enough steam already for this team to get their own comic after the whole War of the Realms is over, which will also be written by Greg Pak. I think it's fantastic to get Jimmy Woo, Amadeus Cho, Kamala Khan, Cindy Moon, and Shang-Chi, plus other Asian superheroes in Pearl Pang, a.k.a. Wave, Lei Ling, a.k.a. Arrow, Amy Han, a.k.a. White Fox, Dan B, or Dan Bai, a.k.a. Crescent, with Io the Magic Bear, and then Sol He, a.k.a. Luna Snow, just heck yeah filipino korean chinese shanghainese and k-pop superheroes amadeus is now brawn instead of the totally awesome hulk and this team brings so many faces to the fight for midgard the readers might see themselves in there's a lovely analogy for pan-asian cooperation involving none other than a pair and then lots and lots of action i really love this plus come on shang chi getting love in a comic book is really good stuff. It's all action against Cinder and her forces of uh, fire goblins trying to turn uh, Asia into a new version of Muspelheim. Also a Pacific Islander goddess and issue two including Lin Lai aka Swordmaster. This, this battle against Cinder turning Earth in her own kingdom goes down in Shanghai and Seoul even out in the ocean with all sorts of intrigue and a team that doesn't necessarily want to be a team. They have to gang together to fight the forces of Cinder in Asia, but not before uniting over a love of spam, and then things go fighty fight 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 in a multi-pronged attack. Also cool that issue 3 uh, 
also brings more Asian superheroes to the pages in the form of other heroes resisting within their homelands. Heck, the comic even heads to other gods besides Pele. Shang-Chi rocks in this, but all the heroes have their part to play, and I think I am a bigger fan of Amadeus Cho as Braun instead of being a Hulk. Issue 4 is all the Asian superheroes chewing bubble gum and kicking butt, and they're, they're so out of bubble gum, if you know what I mean. Cinder's forces don't know what they're up against until they do, and there's classic comic twists for one of the new characters, which makes you, makes you, sure you know Jimmy Woo. Uh, he may not have powers, but he still is a ringleader of this organization. Also, if you wanted a panel with the team fighting alongside the Avengers, there's a payoff for that too. Wonderful doesn't even begin to describe this comic, and if all this all Asian team can spark these feelings in a white Wookiee, I wonder what it means to people of Asian descent. Even better, this comic will be continued, like I said, in a standalone series in August. So jump on board the hype train, friends, for a very important comic in the realm of inclusion that I am looking forward to. But on to even more tie-ins. Yes, there are more friends. War of the Realms, Strike Force, The War Avengers, Issue 1. Written by Dennis Hopeless Hallam, art by Kim Jacinto, and Ario Anandito, and color by Java Tataglia, and Felipe Sobrero. Sorry, there's, there's police cars in the background. It's getting serious. But I could sum up uh, this completely uh, with Deadpool delightfully saying, it's surprisingly dark inside a fire shark. It's that kind of good. And if you remember me being stoked by Captain Marvel earlier with Captain Marvel, Lady Sif, Deadpool, Venom, Winter Soldier, Black Widow, Weapon H, and Captain Brendan, then you know I am in for their part of the mission to fight this war on the ground on Midgard with a different type of Avenger team. This is just soldiers holding the line while the other two Strike Force teams hopefully succeed in their missions, and it is awesome. Bonus. It is Deadpool being Deadpool with all the witty banter and fourth wall break-in that you've come to love. Add in cool robot suits, a murder clown, and then the tie-in to make the Malakas facing off against the Black Knight Union Jack and Spitfire make sense in the main comic. Probably should have read this one before reading uh, War of the Realms number four. But oh well. I also didn't mention it in the main comic, but there's rad creatures like Hedge Mammoths and Crocodile Tanks, and the latter is played up in this issue. So much goodness, and Deadpool and Carol Danvers really do shine in this one. Uh, next up, War of the Realms, Strike Force, The Land of the Giants, issue one. Uh, one Strike Force was good. Two, even better. This is written by Tom Taylor, pencils by Jorge Molina, ink by Adriano Benedetto, and color by David Curiel. This is Captain America's team of OG Spider-Man, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, and Wolverine on their mission to find Thor and Jotunheim, land of, land of the issue's title. Sure, Power Man is right in calling this team a sausage fest, but flying into danger on Valkyrie Pegasus's, Pegasus's, yes, I know that's an incorrect pluralization, uh, and Asgardian weapons for each member of the team uh, from a well-labeled armory. It's it's rad. Then somehow Taylor finds a way to have a Spider-Man moment with a Pegasus that just makes me smile amongst carnage and my hat is off to the writer. So much smiting, berserker rage, comedy, and just a really damn fun comic that also has a ton of heart. I give it, I give it a solid Wookiee wowza. Um, having read that badass story that ultimately was a Spider-Man tale, I had to read War of the Realms, Spider-Man, and the League of Realms issues 1-3. to three, Written by Sean Ryan, illustrated by Nico Leone, colored by Carlos Lopez. Issue 3 adds Mark Fila to art and Andrew Crossley to color. These issues take place after War of the Realms issue 4. Spidey is appointed by Thor to lead a new League of the Realms, so that means Roe Bloodshot, the Wood Wizard of... Vanaheim, Screwbeard the Dwarf, Sir Ivory Honeyshot, a Light Elf, Ud the Troll, and Titania the Mountain Giant. Their mission is to infiltrate Africa, which is overrun by the Warrior Angels of Heaven. Um, 
And and Spidey is much different than the Warriors he's teamed up with. But perhaps that's a good thing. Time will tell. Uh, but I dig Peter trying some diplomacy amidst exploding feathers. Um, it's actually a short story with not much going on, but it's not terrible. It's, it's certainly not as good as Spidey on a warhorse, complete with uh, with the silly picked out by Logan helmet. But uh, you get Spidey's version of diplomacy, also a little backstory for the warrior angels. In the middle of all the heroes fighting the villains, there's a reminder that the protected humans have plans of their own to save their lands, or at least the people of Africa do. There we get more for Malachus army in Europe, and hopefully one heck of an epic battle. Um, what I liked, what I liked about this is there were some nice nods to LGBTQ relationships, and then the mystery for Curse, which is uh, the hulking uh, second of Malachus army. Um, in the second issue, I liked it more than the first. Issue three concludes it all. Uh, the mystery of Curse uh, is revealed, of course, in War Scrolls, but ties into this. Uh, and if you're a fan of Jason Aaron's Thor run, there's actually a connection there. Uh, the issue also includes the words infected goat scrotum so big wins all around uh, this particular league is a fun collection of characters that have no business working together but do anyways and they kick butt along the way it's a satisfying enough conclusion for a sometimes silly spidey story who uh, is wearing as guardian armor uh, and fighting with thor characters against angels and and curse so the last issues side issues so to speak in this mega dollop of an event like i said i pulled everything uh, Giant Man issues one to three, written by Leah Williams, art by Marco Castiello, and color by Rachel Rosenberg. This is Scott Lang as Giant Man, along with Goliath and Atlas, and uh, basically the All Mother Frasia is hot pissed about the way King Laffy treated her son Loki. Now she's enlisted four men who can fake their way into Ice Giant territory in Florida to get some payback. Yes, dear listener, you heard that right, and it is definitely. Definitely a strange read. Not sure I think it's the best story, but I did enjoy turning the pages. Uh, the second issue carries on this unlikely team journeying through Frost Giant Control Florida. They're singing and bar fights and some tender stuff for Scott regarding his missing daughter Cassie. Uh, the final issue is Moonstone and Emir, the original Frost Giant, and Scott's daughter, and lots of fighting for these these uh, heroes who got uh, got to go big for a, a secret mission for Lady Frasia, the All-Mother. Then the mission sort of is completed, uh, wrapped up real quick. But it's a good read despite maybe losing some focus at the end. I know all the character moments felt real, and surprisingly I did dig this throughout, which is saying something since I, I was pretty sure this was one I wished I hadn't pulled. But, but I did, and I read it. But as you can tell, all of the War of the Realms... Uh, it was just good and I pulled everything which was a bit expensive I don't know if I'll do that again in the near future but this whole epic war from the brain of Jason Aaron and his talented team was solid and all ends in one last issue War of the Realms Omega this basically is a prequel issue uh, and so to speak because you get the final stuff for Daredevil a tease of the future ahead for Jane Foster some Loki stuff and then Frank Castle's journey from here which I teased uh, when we talked about his tie-in writers are Jason Aaron, Al Ewing Daniel Kibblesmith and Jerry Duggan Art Ron Carney or Garney, Cafu, Oscar Bazaldva, and Juan Ferreira. Color was Matt Miller, Jesus Abertov David Curiel and Ferreira. I, I like the Jane Foster and Daredevil stuff the best but this is uh, this is like, okay, War of the Realms is over, and this is where everything is headed. <laughs> so, uh, like I said, the Daredevil and Jane Foster stuff was the best. But uh, by now you can tell how much I enjoyed all the War of the Realms stuff. And then, uh, lucky me, I got to keep reading because a couple series spun out from all this awesomeness, which was uh, originally started in that War of the Realms Omega 
Uh, Loki now is a standalone, again written by Daniel Kibblesmith, drawn by Oscar Bazalva, and colored by David Curiel. So far, Loki issues one and two have come out. If you dig the God of Mischief, it is so worth it to see what life is like for him after the whole mess across the realms perpetrated by Malekith and his forces. It's dealing with the responsibilities of a kingdom. While also Loki being the brother of Thor, and also just sort of bored with life, uh, which you know can only lead to hijinks. The second issue has a real red interaction between Loki and Tony Stark, and the whole comic is funny and witty. And if you dig the other Odinson, gambling and ice giants and snowmen and nightmares and more, you should check this out. And I'm not going to say much more about it because it is a really new issue. Like I read issue two like several days ago, so uh, check it out. There's also Valkyrie, uh, written by Jason Aaron and Al Ewing. Art by Kafu and color by Jesus Abertov. I don't want to spoil this comic, but it is magic and not just because two amazing writers are working on it. For now, um, I'll, I'll keep the content secret, but if you like Jane Foster or any of the War of the Realm stuff uh, that happened, you need to be reading this wonderful comic. There's a villain in this which had me whooping, and not just because I typed the note for this while I was staring at a first appearance of that same character from a Marv Wolfman comic. Damn, Valkyrie starts off real good. It, it's, it just says, please read me. But that is enough with the war that threatens all of humanity and their heroic counterparts. Uh, let's, uh, let's read some Marvel from a completely different galaxy far, far away. Yes, that is right, friends. Some Star Wars comics, and by some, I mean a whole shitload. Or a Sith load, that's what I mean. Uh, let's start with Star Wars issues 59 to 70. Uh, the issues up to 67 were written be, by Karen Gillan, art by Angel Zueta, and colored by Guru EFX. Uh, issue 61 and 62 switch art to Andrea Brocardo, but otherwise the creative team for uh, up to issue 67 remains the same. The first three issues uh, end up Luke, Leia, and Han stuck on the moon of Hubin as guests of Thane Marcona. There's Rascal Han in a gunfight, and then all sorts of intrigue as Scar Squadron shows up to the moon. For those who don't remember, they are Task Force 99 and led by the lightsaber-wielding Sergeant Krill. Readers question the loyalties of Clan Marcona on their isolationist moon, but then things go lightsaber dually for Krill and Luke. And it's all action and radness. Bonus for more Thanrax and good stuff for the Thane and Sonostaros back in action. Plus a nice scene for 3PO's fluency and millions of languages to come in handy. It's all really fun. Then of course we have to head to show Torin after all this for Leia's plans uh, while stranded on Huban to come to fruition. Queen Trios needs to be paid back for her treachery. And uh, Gillen weaves this story together wonderfully as we head to settle a score, but also join up with characters from previous stories, and by this I mean Benthic and his partisans from Jeddah, Miordi the Slicer, and then Tunga the Shapeshifting Claudite. Also, just a funny little show in issue 62 to make you smile, also more for the cult of the central Isopter in a small way, and then a, the big mission to take down Shoturin that takes new turns because of the motivations of the partisans. It's all real fun with lots of explosions, plenty of twists and turns. The mission is real good, and Unzweta's art is always incredibly dang good. The problem is that this economic strike to shut down the volatile and unstable planet which serves the Empire might also mean the end of a world all led by a princess who gains focus from the destruction of her own. I really like when Leia and Trios get to face off with each other, and Tunga is always good on the colorful pages of this comic. And I haven't even mentioned the Imperials tied to this whole drama and what that means for everything going down. It is super sweet, and then all wraps up with issue 67. 
Tonga the Claudite, like I said, gets some hero time, and Luke works against the Partisans with plans of their own, all while the fate of Shotoran hangs in the balance, not helped at all by the Imperials literally over their heads. Lots of action, and then a surprise way for everything to resolve itself, plus one of those Han flying moments to just make fans of him cheer. The way it all resolves... That even includes a tip of the hat to the solo movie is real good. It gets the story real close to the Rebels founding a base on Hoth. But we're not there yet. We're close, but not there. Um, uh, also Vader in the comic, but I won't say how, so yay. Alas, the issue 67 ended Kieran Gillen's involvement in the comic, but it, it was a real good run since he became involved with everything. Thoroughly enjoyed it, and it's so not bad news for Greg Pak to be taken over writing with the issue of 68 and beyond. The creative team for 69 to 70, uh, besides Pack, is uh, artist Phil Notto on Art and Color, actually for uh, issue 68 to 70. But our crew of iconic rebels now splits up to do missions uh, for the Rebel Alliance to keep the Empire from discovering where the Rebels are operating. So Luke is off to lure away Imperial probes from a supply depot. Han and Leia are off to frame a crime cartel sympathetic to the Empire. And 3PO and Chewie are off to blow up a planet and some bad guys along with it. Of course, no mission is ever easy. And these issues follow the plans as they go awry while our heroes strive to do good and fight against the big bad space racists. There's rock monsters and a boyfriend from Leia's Alderanian past and then some rad force stuff for luke with an interesting wrinkle in his mission and it's really good and not just because i love the antics of 3po and chewy or the romantic tension for han and leia greg pack is is telling a wonderfully broken apart yet interwoven story it's called rebels and rogues and it has cliffhangers and goodness and yay for star wars we're gonna head next to dr afra issues 28 to 34 written by simon spurrier art by emilio lasso and colored by rachel rosenberg issue 31 has andrea bricardo joining the art team and 32 is art by wilton santos and casper wingard ink by mark Deering and don ho and color by crystal halloran and stephanie pietro 33 and 34 add andrea bricardo to art walden wong joining Deering. But uh, 28 to 31 is the ingenious mission of Afra and the unlikely team up with Triple Zero to get bomb implants removed from themselves before they go kablooey. The entire plan hatched up by none other than the evil Dr. Cornelius Evazon, and yes, Ponda Baba is there too. Tam Pazla is involved, Evil Force Fungus, BT1, Little Scavenger Velada, Monster Hunters, Windlass and Voss, and more all play parts in this story set on Milvane. There's also Imperial Propaganda, a.k.a. the Imperial Coalition for Progress agents, cataloging the whole fair, and it is just as wild as you should expect from a Dr. Afra and everything that I just said. The highlights for me are all the interactions for Afra and Triple Zero, but it's all really enjoyable and ends with a bit of a shock that could have been the end of this comic, quite literally. But then it keeps going with a new partner twist for Chelly, and me happy that she's back to her rogue archaeologist ways. Also... Happy for some glimpses into her past, how that ties with her new running mate, plus the title of the story, Unspeakable Rebel Super Weapon, is pretty fun, and the cliffhanger means much more inter interestingness for Afra. plus I really want to see the far killer of Awub the Apostate in action. What's not to love about a lightsaber crystal sniper rifle? I mean, come on. The action continues in the next two issues, that's real nice as it continues to tie into flashbacks from Chelly's younger years that uh, also connect to her new ward. Magna Tolvin, 
also back, as well as the appearance of some powerful leaders of the Rebellion, any fan should love. What's weird is some questionable tactics for the Rebel Alliance that involved, involved the Far Killer, which I still think is a great name. But I dig lessons from Shelly's mom connecting to considering joining the Rebellion, and I respect how this character interacts with the world she is confronted with. I also dig how the story roller coasters back and forth. Uh, between Afra's loyalties and events from her past and present, issue 34 is incredible. Uh, if you saw the cover, you know I'm super stoked to see the return of Black Kersantan. Then there is uh, her Afra's usual sneak thievery and treachery, all the all the antics and traits of my favorite rogue space archaeologist scoundrel. And then uh, she has her Wookiee back and her ward uh, with the giant looking like a Rathtar thing. And then there's a fun cliffhanger for the end of the last issue. So heck yeah. Yay for Afra, but uh, what what to talk about next? I guess we can get into the single issue collections they're doing in the Star Wars comics right now. Uh, the first couple are Star Wars: Age of Republic, Jango Fett, the special Anakin Skywalker, Count Dooku, General Grievous, and Padme Amidala. Uh, Jody Hauser is a writer for everything, but 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 does uh, one of the special? The special actually has other writers too. So Star Wars: Age of Republic, Jango Fett is Hauser, art by Luke Ross, colored by Java Tartaglia. Django Fett is working with a crew of three other bounty hunters for a job on Ord Mantell, and he's brought his son Boba Fett along for some training. It's good. You get action for the both of them, as well as some father-son bonding in a bounty hunter way, along with a scene from Camino. It is solid. Uh, Age of Republic special is three stories. Writer Ethan Sachs, artist Paolo Villanelli, and colorist Eric Arseniega bring us a Mace Windu tale. Rad showcases Windu using his Jedi power. So dang cool against galactic terrorists. It's either it's about whether fighting for good can save anyone, everyone. And the answer may surprise you, but Mace is rad here. The second tale is Asajj Ventress by the amazing Jody Hauser, artist Carlos Gomez, and colorist Dono Sanchez Almara. This is bounty hunter Asajj in the lower levels of Coruscant. Can't say much about what goes down because it'd be spoilers for events in the Clone Wars, but this is set around the time Ahsoka Tana left the Jedi Order. Features Asajj real awesomely. Shows some of her backstory as well. I dug it. The last story, believe it or not, is a Jar Jar Binks story side by side with Captain Rex. Written by Mark Guggenheim, art by Casper Wingard, and colored by Chris Peter. Challenge yourself to not hate Jar Jar immediately, and you might be surprised that this was one of my favorites of the three stories. It's actually good. It uses the characters exactly as you remember them, and there's also a moment for Darth Jar Jar fans. Uh, but it, it's good stuff. Yeah, okay, it's, it's probably a tie between the Jar Jar story and the uh, Asajj Ventures story, but I salute Guggenheim being willing to tell a Jar Jar story. Uh, the special is cool, and I dig them telling a couple different stories. Uh, Star Wars Age of Republic, Anakin Skywalker, written by Jody Hauser, art by Corey Smith and Wilton Santos, ink by Walden Wong, color by Java Tartaglia. This is Anakin fighting in his Jedi Starfighter, Admiral Yularen of the Republic Navy, a talk with Obi-Wan, and then lightsaber action to save slaves working in a droid factory. Also, Anakin at odds with the strategic aims of the military based on his understanding of his Jedi teachings. It's cool. Uh, Age of Republic Count Dooku, Rimba Hauser, art by Luke Ross, colored by Jarvar Tataglia. This is Dooku before he's revealed to the galaxy as the leader of the Separatists, while he served the secret machinations of Darth Sidious, and all takes place on Sullust, and includes an anthropomorphic Tiger Jedi, so you know it's awesome. Totally a comic worth its cost. Uh, Age of Republic General Grievous, 
Hauser, art by Ross, color by Tartaglia. This is General Grievous versus Jedi's A Jedi Temple and the Force itself. Yes, friends, you heard that right. It's a little weird, but overall pretty solid. Hauser tells good stories, and while I wouldn't have thought a one shot for Grievous, uh, liter would be would be interesting. Literally, uh, it, it, he gets just as much time in comic form as he did in the movies. But uh, this works. It's it's a little weird. It's a little wonky. But uh, but it ultimately is cool. Uh, Age of Republic, Padme Almadala, Hauser, art by Corey Smith and Wilton Santos, ink by Walden Wong and Mark Dering, color by Tataglia. Padme and two of her handmaidens on a mission to secure new allies for the Galactic Republic. And true to form, there are others who want to stop her. Where the shines is in bits between her and Dorme and Mote, and with Padme's dialogue with the Minister Clabron. There's also a bit with Anakin here. I dig this comic, especially the cover with Padme, looking so much like her daughter. And speaking of daughter, the Age of Republic ends with Padme, and the switches to the next era of one-shots with Star Wars, Age of Rebellion, and Princess Leia. Writers now Greg Pak. For most of the stories, minus the special. Leia's artists are Chris Sprouse, Carl Story, Will Sliney, and Mark Deering, with color by Tamara Bonvillain. Leia and Chewbacca are on a mission that includes Bausch, Lando Calrissian, Bosk, and other bounty hunters. Even better, this adventure falls in line right before Leia went to rescue her scoundrel love from Jabba the Hutt, so it's solid, and you shouldn't expect anything less from Greg Pak, but it was also nice to have a Padme story followed directly by a Leia story. A real strong start for the Age of Rebellion. And then Age of Rebellion, Grand Moff Tarkin, so uh, Greg Pak, he of the awesome Planet Hulk, and so much more, is a writer for all of these, so I'm not going to say his name otherwise unless I need to. The artist for this is Mark Laming with Jordan Boyd and Niraj Manon on color. If you like the Tarkin novel by James Lucino, then you're going to love this comic, but uh, the reading uh, that novel is not required reading before reading the comic. What this is, is a window into the leadership of Tarkin, plus a bit of his backstory, all set on the Death Star after the events of Rogue One and tied into A New Hope. Brutal and chilling and incredible, Tarkin is one heck of a ruthless leader, and there is no fuzzy house slippers here, although thinking of those might make you smile in an otherwise dark story that is incredibly very, very good. Uh, Age of Rebellion special, so this is like the special from Age of Republic. Three stories, the first is an IG-88 tale written by Simon Spurrier, art by Casper Wingard, and art by Lee Lowridge. The bounty hunter droid is badass, and the story is true to form, giving much more for a character only seen in a short snippet in Empire Strikes Back. I'd describe it as a dispassionate awesomeness in the performance of Killing for Money. It's cool as shit. Uh, the second story is A Yoda Tale by Mark Guggenheim, art by Andrea Bricardo, and color by Dono Sanchez Almara. If you ever wonder what Yoda got up to while living the hermit life on Dagobah, then you'll love this little tale. And no, I don't mean that since I judged a Jedi Master by his size. It's hunting and force use and Yoda contending with being the last Jedi in the galaxy. It's goodness, it's goodness, and goodness. Uh, and the last story is a weird one involving Big Starklighter and Jack Parkins, written and drawn by John Adams color by Chris O'Halloran. It's dealing with the true cost of war and going on a wild vacation. Honestly, it's sort of dumb, but coming in a multi-story issue, it works. At least Porkins gets some love and Dark Lighter stash is still cool. But anywho, we're going to move on to, to Greg Peck awesomeness with Age of Rebellion, Han Solo, art by Chris Sprouse, ink by Carl Story, and color by Tamara Bonvillain. After the Battle of Yavin, we often wondered how Han got stuck sticking around as a hero to the Rebellion, and I'm happy for a story close to the end of the movie, which uh, started it all, showing Han being pulled back in just when he thought he was out. 
Also, this explains why Han didn't just pay off his debt to Jabba after receiving his reward money, and it's good scoundrel fun with Han and Chewbacca, and what's not to love about that? Age of Rebellion, Boba Fett, artist Mark Laming, and colored by Niraj Manan. You get... Yeah, well, so, if you like Boba Fett, then read this story on Kara Jam, showing just how the most notorious Star Wars bounty hunter operates. Uh, he's a guild hunter in this, and let's just say you don't want to be around him if you have a bounty on your head. The story also puts him against another skilled bounty hunter, and ultimately, it's just good Fett. I liked it even though I'm usually the first to point out that uh, Boba Fett is an overrated character. This comic was good evidence for anyone who wants to argue against that, although you might still be wrong. Next up, Age of Rebellion, Lando Calrissian, art by Matteo Bufagni, colored by Tamara Bonvillain, and man, I love scoundrels in Star Wars, and Lando getting love, showing his panache and skill as the administrator of Cloud City, side by side with Lobot, was a good time. He runs a Tabana gas mining operation, which is expensive, and you might think it'd be boring to see Lando struggle with finances and how to keep his workers happy, but in my opinion, you'd be wrong. Also, you can learn a fun way to curse in Star Wars. I'm going to spoil that, but it's Bricks Off, B-R-I-X. So if you just want to say F off to someone, but do it Star Wars style, Bricks Off. Um, I did like seeing what Lando is willing to do and what the limits of his scoundrel ways are, and this was a solid story. Sort of had the same flavor as the Han story, which makes sense since it's, it's written by the same guy. But also, I could hear Billy Dee Williams in the dialogue, so I, I thought it was fun. I thought it was really solid. Uh, Age of Rebellion, Jabba the Hutt, art by Emilio Lasso, or Lasso, Roland Bashi, and Mark Torini, and color by Andre Massa, Rachel Rosenberg, and Niraj Manan. And wowza, I was not prepared to like a Jabba comic so much. From Canto Bite to Jabba's Palace on Tatooine, with masterful scheming that includes wine made by sand people. Wow and wow, friends. There's idealist smugglers, Jawas, Imperials, and lots of treachery, all to show the, the power of the hut who controls Tatooine. This may be my favorite of the Resistance one-shots, but uh, the Tarkin one also ranks high. Uh, and I, I thought after reading the hut, like, man, this is probably going to be my favorite. And then I got to the next story, Age of Rebellion, Luke Skywalker, art by Chris Browse, Scott Koblish, and Stefano Landini, inks by Carl Story and Mark Deering, color by Bond Villain. What is not to love about a Luke Skywalker story? This is black outfitted, green lightsaber Luke helping rebels against the Empire while simultaneously being tempted towards the dark side by an emperor who can reach his thoughts through the vastness of space. His temptation and heroics and possibilities and ends with Luke being the humble guy for a change rather than the man with a medal or metal hand. This takes place before episode 6, but I'm not sure where, but it's really good. And I'm, I'm glad Greg Pak nailed one of the hero stories. And then the last Age of Rebellion is Darth Vader, art by Ramon Box, colored by Stephanie Pietro. At first, it seems like a weird story with Vader forced to obey the orders of an Imperial governor uh, named Governor R., who is clearly hell-bent on trying to destroy the Sith Lord. But then it all makes sense in his classic Vader. And in truth, this is real fun since you get to see the power of the Dark Lord throughout. It's a way to tell a story which adds depth to Vader but doesn't conflict with any of the other stories that we know about him. It's good stuff, and I liked what Greg Pak brought to the table with the Rebellion standalones, which makes me interested uh, for what he'll do with the title series of Star Wars. I've enjoyed the first three issues of that title series, and I really think uh, there's so much promise there. I will admit that uh, Jody Hauser's stuff was my favorite, went between uh, Greg Pak and Hauser's standalones. That doesn't diminish this at all. 
there are hits and misses, uh, but all the comics are worth checking out. But the one-shots aren't done since the Age of Resistance is, is already started and the third section of these. Star Wars Age of Resistance, uh, Finn is the first. Rider duties for these is Tom Taylor. Uh, this issue has Ramon Rosanas uh, on art and color by Guru EFX. This is Finn doing janitor slash stormtrooper duty and shows events which would make him begin to question his duties for the First Order. Also shows FN2187 was a hero way before he switched sides in The Force Awakens. I did like it a bunch. And then there's Age of Resistance Phasma, and wow, did I like this Taylor story with pencils by Leonard Kirk, ink by Corey Hampshire, and Guru E effects on color. The First Order has a mission on the Iron Planet Demir, and most of what we see is through the eyes of a female stormtrooper who interacts with Phasma. There's definitely a clear line to how Phasma is willing to go to achieve her goals. There's even panels where you sort of see her unmasked. This is put the Phas- this reading this comic put the Phasma novel higher on my list for summer reading like I, and I did I read the Phasma novel shortly after reading this uh, but this comic is dark and rad and adds to the threat of the first order even if the on screen Phasma is quickly taken out uh, on screen but you see what a bad mamma jamma she is so kudos to Tom Taylor and uh, this this comic really is in line with the character that you meet in uh, in the Phasma novel which is also really good uh, there's also a special for the Age of Resistance, the Star Wars Age of Resistance special. Three more short stories. We get Tom Taylor, Matteo Bufagni, and Chris O'Halloran telling a Maz Kanata tale. G. Willow Wilson, Elsa Chereretier, and Nick Filardi with Amalyn Holdo. And then Chris Eliopoulos, Javier Pina, and Guru Effects with the BBA story. Um, those names, respectively, are all writer, artists, and color, respectively. Uh, this is cool stories, and I like the Maz one the best. No huge revelations, but enjoyable narrative and art for all of them. Like I said, the Maz story is solid, but uh, that's because it's a red archaeological mission of sorts and includes Maz Kanata, Han, and Chewbacca. Also, an explanation for Holdo's purple hair, if you ever wondered about that. And uh, her being somewhere between the character and Leia, Princess of Alderaan, and then when we found her in The Last Jedi. Uh, the BBA story is also just great, but that's because that droid is awesome, and that is enough said about the special. But that's all the one-shots, um, but of course I collect all the Star Wars comics, and we can head next to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, issues 1-4, to four, which is a five-part comic series where Disney makes sure readers of the comic are well aware of the newest expansion to their Anaheim of Florida theme parks by giving more stories from Batu. Of course, I was lucky to get a sneak preview of the Anaheim goodness, and if you listen to the bonus show which came out June 4th, you can hear all about that experience, plus the thoughts of Blue and his Night Queen. And of course, episode 155 of the podcast included an insider view of the theme park expansion with my buddy Arvin, who works there. But anywho, the issues of the Galaxy's Edge comic are fun, uh, and the four issues I've read so far are given backstory for artifacts collected by the Athorian black market dealer Doc Ondar. His shop in the real world, world is the one place at Black Spire Outpost where you'll find objects connected to a lot of Star Wars canon, and the comics give reasons for some of the different things that you find in there. The creative team... His writer Ethan Sachs, artist Will Sliney, and color by Dono Sanchez Amaro with Photo Bunker. Issue 1 tells the Han and Chewie tale and how a baby Sarlacc found its way into the hands of Doc Ondar. Then issue 2 tells a Greedo working for Jabba the Hutt tale that connects the Athorian to that crime cartel in a way and also includes the lightsaber of none other than Ki Mundi. Woven within this tale is a current story 
of a trio of outlaws seeking to get one of Ondar's artifacts that is dangerous according to dialogue and a threat to the First Order. Uh, and the First Order is occupying Black Spire Outpost just like they do when you visit Anaheim. So uh, it's all interesting. Issue 3 is a tale all about Hondo Onaka working with Doc Ondar. Bonus is it sometime, and it also includes snatching a relic from the Guardians of the Wills on Jeddah. So for hooray, hooray for a little bit of cheer at Imwe. Also some backstory for Doc, then Hondo working with the Outlaws. It includes a Claudite shapeshifter. Uh, issue 4 somehow gets Dr. Chiliafra in on the past stories of antiquity collecting for Andar. There's a glimpse of his current time shop, the rival of the Thai Echelon from the land, more for the Outlaw gang, and the reveal of what the artifact that they want to steal truly is. Also, Afra being her slight conniving self on the Sith homeworld of Moraband, which is lovely. Uh, there's so many little nuggets from the story, like the identity of the IG droid you see in the real shop. Uh, all these comic stories are fun reads, and not just because I've seen the baby Sarlacc with my own eyes. Been to the cantina where Honda meets the peeps, and know the lightsaber story is meant to explain why you can buy replica Jedi sabers under the counter of Ondar's. The Kyber statue from issue 3 is on display proudly in the real world, and there's so much more... Uh, that you can see there, like something from Palpatine's office in Episode 3 and the Mando mask from the upcoming John Favreau series. I will stop before I nerd out too much, but I have smiled as I watched the red animatronic of Doc Ondar the Athorian and even looked at the Indiana Jones Easter egg hidden in the shop with my own peepers. Uh, the Doc Ondar shop is the highlight of Batu for me, and I look forward to more comic or issues of this comic, even though there's just one more to lead us to a final confrontation. Uh, next comics to talk about, Star Wars TIE Fighter issues 1 to 4. Uh, the nerd in me wants to say that acronym out uh, completely. I do want to say TIE, Twin Ion Engine. Uh, but but before I get inspired to debate the merits of ATAT versus ADAT, I'll just give uh, you the creative team. This is a story by Jody Hauser, art by Roja Antonio and Michael Dowling, color by Arif Prianto and Lee Lowridge. Issue 2 switches art to Antonio and Josh Kassara with Arif Prianto and Niraj Manan on color. Uh, 3 is Antonio on art with Geraldo Gorges. 4 is Antoni Antonio with Iguar on art and Jean-Francois Bellard joining Prianto in color. Uh, so this comic is telling the shadowing story that connects to the Alphabet Squadron uh, novel by Alexander Freed. Basically good guys in book form and baddies in comic book. There's an elite team of TIE fighter pilots and uh, bonus one of the characters from the solo comic shows up. Uh, sure, twin brother Lydendry is not an important kind of character, but I do like seeing him show up. Honestly, this comic is not one of my favorites, which is a real shame since I loved Hauser's work in the, in the age of... Uh, uh, Republic stuff, but maybe I, I need to to finish up reading the Alphabet Squadron book and then reattack the comic. Actually, I'm currently reading Alphabet Squadron, and so far I like it. I do like it, but I sort of feel the same way about the book as I did this comic. I'm like, yeah, it's okay. We'll see when it's all said and done. Uh, there are space battles. And then Entry got a planet that brings new ideas to what the motives of Imperial officers are. Also, a real new way of showing characters' faces as they fly in their Tie Fighters that shows the helmets. We usually see um, the bad starfighter pilots where it is nice to remember that every character on both the good and bad side are people. Uh, the end of issue two was probably my favorite part just because you get the Dree brothers talking with each other. Uh, issue three has the elite pilots actively escaping a corrupt imperial bureaucrat. And then lots of space battles with the Rebel Alliance showing up. Even better, it shows that there are stakes in this comic. Uh, not all the characters are safe. Um, 
Issue 4 deals with some ramifications of the said stakes, adds two new pilots to the gang, showing what's going on in the Imperial uh, military courtesy of his battles with the Rebellion. I dig seeing the Karita Academy again, flight instructor Yurib Nakan from the solo comic. Uh, the Imperials plan to take it to the Rebels, and it will all conclude in one more issue, which isn't out yet. We get backstory for uh, another character and their grandmother, which I did like. Uh, it's really not a bad comic. I will hold out my real... Uh, Real opinion until the five part is done, and I've read the companion novel, so it all makes sense. <clears throat> so time will tell, but it is nice because this story follows. Uh, it's basically set after the Battle of Endor, so it's uh, what's going on as the Imperials try to hold on to their power, and as the rebellion turns into the New Republic. And speaking of uh, Star Wars Han Solo, which I did mention. Han Solo Imperial Cadet issues 4 and 5 were in my gigantic pile of comics that I read during a semester of grad school and didn't talk about. Um, and then spent a couple weeks typing up show notes and then several more weeks procrastinating. But I'm finally catching up. And wow, that was a mouthful. But anyway, anyways, these issues end the five-part limited series. It tells of Han's time in the Imperial Flight Academy Academy on Corita, along with new friends, written by Robbie Thompson, pencils by Leonard Kirk, ink by Danielle Orlandini, and colored by Arif Prianto. Corey Hampshire also does ink on issue two. Uh, it is time for the cadets to see real action as uh, Thai pilots, and uh, it is against insurgents on, on Qualisk. Problem is that one of their members is in danger, and this team isn't willing to leave someone behind, and that leads them to potentially being blasted by their own forces. Somehow within this comic, it still finds time to deal with issues of slavery and then the tempestuous relationship between Kanina and Solo. All in all, it was a fun five issues. Uh, issue three was my favorite, but four and five were good. Uh, and I, I was extra uh, stoked when the comic doesn't end with Han being sent to Mimbon and left an option for them to tell more young Han stories. So I thought that was sort of cool too. Uh, and so also since it's taken me forever... Uh, five ever as I said at one point I also read the first issue of Star Wars Target Vader uh, this is Target Vader issue one it, uh, this story is going to be a six parter uh, issue one written by Robbie Thompson art by Mark Lehman and Chris Bolson colors by Niraj Manon, Jordan Boyd, Andre Massa Federico Blee and Eric Arseniega it's a beautiful book for sure this is a world of bounty hunters colliding against a mission to kill the dark enforcer of Palpatine's will there's a cartel called the Hidden Hand invaders after them Violet Valance is the leader of the assassination team, looks rad. Seriously saw the cover and was like, man, this is a character that a young Kurt Russell would have played. Uh, dig his cybernetic enhancements to his face. The team is rad too. There's a gamma ray and lady, a mass sniper, an Arcadian slicer, and a murder droid with four arms that the dialogue tells is a Jedi hunter from the past. And oh yeah, Stinky Dengar is on the team too. <laughs> but uh, people die throughout this book. And then there's a connection to the Rebellion, which is interesting. And from the way this starts, I, I really can't wait to read all of it. And then the last couple issues to talk about are Star Wars, Vader, Dark Visions, issues 3 to 5. This is Dennis Hopeless Hallam as a writer. Uh, issue 3 is art by David Lopez and Javi Pena, colored by Monsa Vicente. Issue 4 is Stephanie Mooney, and colored by Lee Lowridge. And 5 is art by Gerlata Borges, colored by Marcia Mains. Uh, you may have heard controversy over issue 3. Now we'll admit the story of a surgery tech fangirl fawning over an imagined romance with the Dark Lord of the Sith is very problematic. If I had not already bought this comic before I heard all the story, I probably would have skipped it. It is weird. Made me feel that way when I read it. It's a cool idea within, but, uh, you know, Vader is dealing with a... Uh, 
battle damage in his duties as a galactic enforcer. Uh, and that's within the story, but it doesn't get rid of the other ickiness. So skip issue three, and you're welcome for me reading it for you. Issue four, unfortunately, is not much better, but at least it's uh, not about weird, weird romantic fantasy. It's about a kid with a tragic story who grows up to be an X-Wing fighter pilot and then has a tragic story that is connected to Vader at one point, but honestly is not a real Vader story at all. Uh, issue 5 finishes up these weird Vader tales told from other people's perspectives and believe it or not includes hallucinogens and nightmare visions Vader's after intel stolen by rebels and he won't be stopped because hey he's Vader and honestly of all these stories the last one is the best and leans into the scare factor of the Dark Lord I dug it and overall uh, the issues aren't bad per se but I was just bummed out after reading it and I wonder what Chuck Wendig's Vader miniseries would have been like if it had been allowed to happen uh, I really, really wanted uh, Wendig's Will Hood story, but oh well, it is what it is. Maybe someday a writer will tackle Mr. Hood in a story. But in, in a giant list of some shit-hot Star Wars comics, it is not a loss to have a couple that are just meh. Overall, uh, it is the badass Star Wars stories that I'd recommend. Seriously, check out all those one-shots when they're collected in a trade, or if you're my palo, you could always borrow, or maybe we could swap comics. But I, I really think that that is enough comics for this bonus ode. I initially thought I'd be covering Marvel and DC so you can laugh. Uh, but, man, these pages, it, there was a lot of pages. We're talking over 20 pages of notes. And I think this is enough. Uh, stay tuned for DC and a bonus ode in the future. That pile is also huge, like I said. And who knows how long it'll take to write up notes or if my experiment to avoid writing up notes succeeds. But I will try to have a bonus ode out next week or after that. But uh, grad school is starting, and of course the pile will grow, but uh, at least I'm caught up for now on, uh, on my, my, my Marvel comics, and, and I'm just trying not to look at the shit ton of trades and novels that I've read. Uh, my work is cut out for me, but friends, thanks so much for staying for a super long comic palooza talking Marvel comics. Hopefully there was something in there that you liked. Uh, Fuzzball Podcast at gmail.com is how you can email me. <clears throat> at Wookie Riot on Twitter and Instagram. Join the Laugh It Up Fuzzballs group on Facebook. It is a closed group, but you just ask to join and we say yes. And as long as you behave yourself, everything's fine. Uh, and uh, I think that's it. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks for enjoying a bonus ode. And hey, you know, bonus ode means it means there'll be a regular episode out on Friday or Saturday. And I already recorded it. It's a guest episode and it's fun. So hey, friends, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for being classy. Uh, you be excellent to each other. Party on, dudes! And TTFN, tired talking about comics, Wookie, out.